bum bum bottom 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 bum
you know, as, as we said in this little video that we did, which got like almost 6,000 views at this point, which yeah, is Yeah, weird. Uh, uh, what we said in that video was that Free Comic Book Day is not a customer appreciation day. That's right. Every other day in your comic book shop is a customer appreciation day. Free Comic Book Day is about supporting and appreciating your local comic book store. Uh, so when you go to get free comics, you got to remember, they pay for those free comics. The publishers don't give the shops those free comics. They got to put money down. So when you're nabbing all your freebies, please make sure that you're buying comics. And most people seem to be doing that. I didn't see really anybody not walking away without taking a trip by the register. And I want to especially thank everybody who sh who shared their hauls with us. Yes. It really makes it feel like a true, like, universal event for the larger comic book community family thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's not even a national thing. It's a global thing. We had people in England sharing photos with us. Uh, you know, actually, all across the UK sharing photos with us. So, like, that it it it, it does we do connect that way on this day it does feel like this massive celebration and i all i did think like the free comics that we got it was a good selection of books this year and some real surprises like one of my favorites is uh batman and robin and howard the new jeffrey brown book that's coming out mm -hmm. they have a really cute single issued freebie uh of course the new title uh the house of slaughter the enter the house of slaughter free comic book day uh james tinian uh, you know making a lot of news right now with substack uh you know, something is killing the children is one of the best comics out there. And House of Slaughter looks to be like a great comic book as well. Uh, the DC offering of uh, Suicide Squad King Shark. It's pretty good. I like I didn't love it, but I love that character, especially coming off of James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, which is one of my favorite films of the year. Valiant had like a compilation of all their offerings. And if you have not read the Jeff Parker Jeff Parker, the Jeff Parker, Javier Paluto Ninjax series. Uh, pick up that free comic book day because the art is gorgeous. It's a stunning issue. Um, what do we got here? Oh, 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 I love uh, John Patrick Green's Investigators. <laughs> as in alligators? If you're a alligator Loki fan, you should check out Investigators. Uh, the Judge Dredd comic's pretty good. Aftershocks as We Live, The Last Days is really good. Um, Ed Pisker's Red Room. I don't know why you even picked it up. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a really gross comic. I love Ed's art. His art is amazing. I, I do not like Red Room. I don't like Red Room either, but I, I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist because I love his art so much, but it's just not my thing. And then finally, like the Marvel offerings, the Spider-Man Venom and the Avengers Hulk books, uh, really strong, super excited about Donny Cates and uh, Ryan Otley on Hulk and the uh, Ram V Al Ewing uh, Venom storyline looks really, really yeah, good. Yeah. So those are the, my favorites from the free comic book day. Lisa, what did you pick up comic book wise? I'm totally high on YA comics right now. Yeah, you are. Um, independent of free comic book day, I just read Dragon Hoops and then I immediately made Brad read it. If you haven't read it, don't let the basketball cover turn you off. The book is amazing and totally like justified the existence of sports to me, which I thought was impossible, <laughs> um, but yeah. it's amazing. So I picked up some YA books, including Anya's Ghost, which I read last night and really enjoyed. That that Dragon Hoops, Lisa, mm. is the best comic I've read all year. Oh, yeah. It came out last year. I wish I had read it last year. It's 
It's astonishingly good. And uh, I don't like basketball. The author on that is Jean Luen Yang, who wrote Boxer Saints, which we read many years ago and love. He wrote American Born Chinese, which I still haven't read, but now I have to. Have to read it. Have to read it. He also did Superman Smashes the Klan. Um, I mean, he, he worked on Superman for a good chunk of time. He did New Superman. Uh, yeah, like, and I like all that stuff. And like, I loved Boxer Saints. Mm-hmm. Dragon yes. Hoops is his best thing. And like, again, it's it's an astonishing feat of comic art. It's just crazy good. Everyone listening right now, go buy a copy of Dragon Hoops for second press. I don't care if you like basketball or not. You, you will. will. <laughs> you will by the end of this comic. I also picked up Boys Run the Riot because it's just been recommended to me by many of you, actually. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to dive right in. Also, I got Mooncakes, read it this morning, super warm, fuzzy comic. Um, Middle West, Scotty Young. And here's another one I'm super excited about. It's called The Case of the Missing Men. The back says that it's Nancy Drew meets David Lynch. So how can we resist? We cannot. It's about like an adult Nancy Drew Scooby gang type thing. And it reminded me of a not graphic novel, a words novel called Meddling Kids by Edgar Cantero that I read a while ago. You did love that novel. I did. So I've been trying to chase that high. Yeah, this uh, The Case of the Missing Man, like flipping through it, it's definitely my jam. Uh, Nancy Drew meets David Lynch. Mm -hmm. Yes, please. Absolutely. And it's like a series. There's another one after this. Yeah, the Hobtown Mysteries. Yeah, so I am going to read that after you get done reading that for sure. And Middle West is a book that I've always wanted to read. And yes, Boys Run the Riot. Like, we got so many good comics. It was such a great day. Our future is bright, and it's uh, full of comic books, you guys. Yeah, so special shout-out to the shops that we visited. The Amazing Comic Shop, Third Eye Comics, Big Planet Comics. Victory Comics. Victory Comics. And we did one more. Oh, Tashi Station. Uh, I did that while you worked your second gig. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so a uh, lot of great comic book shops in the DMV, and we didn't even touch all of them. Next year, we'll have to hit the others. Hopefully I won't have, I'll, I'll be sure to request it off. I'm a dum-dum. You're not a dum-dum. Someone's got to pay for all these comics, Lisa. Oh, that's right. That's you. Bacon, <laughs> give it to me. What if you didn't have a spouse who didn't earn extra comic money singing weddings and funerals? That is a question <laughs> I do not need Uatu the Watcher to answer. Thank you. Uh, but right now we've got to get into our next couple to section. Scott and Jean are sitting in our waiting room, eagerly anticipating their session to begin. They need a little tune-up, I hear. A, a little tune-up, always. They always need a little tune-up. But before we can finalize their analysis, we got to delve into some serious context regarding this week's bizarre multiverse tale. Now, as you may or may not know, we have covered Scott and Jean on this show before. In fact, they were the couple that kickstarted this podcast in December of 2018. We discussed their relationship through four storylines, the Dark Phoenix saga, the early X-Factor issues, the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, and Grant Morrison's new X-Men. As our firsts, we love them deeply, and we encourage new listeners to go back to listen to those four early episodes. You know, we're still working the kinks out, but uh, I I think those are really precious, and we have links to those episodes in the show notes. Yeah. Also, we've covered the Scott and Gene wedding before, too. When we were dissecting Rogue and Remy's relationship, we did a bonus episode recorded while we were attending the Sundance Film Festival in 2020 before all this lockdown madness went down, and we discussed X-Men issue 30 
And guess what? You'll find links to that episode in the show notes as well. We've been living a very marvelous life this year on the podcast, covering lots of Marvel Comics couples in 2021. I think a big part of that is how much fun we've been having with the Disney Plus shows. We've done one pod stand episodes on Tom King and Gabriel Walta's The Vision, the most recent Falcon and Winter Soldier miniseries, and last week we covered Loki's Everything Burns storyline. And now we've got another Disney Plus show, What If, to obsess over. We weren't originally planning to do another one-pod stand centered on this series, but then it struck us What If actually gives us a pretty unique opportunity to return to Scott Summers and Jean Grey through the What If Wedding album, which presents three separate realities where Scott and Jean's relationship travels down very different paths. What If is a comic book anthology series published by Marvel Comics whose stories explore how the Marvel Universe might have unfolded if key moments in its history had not occurred as they did in mainstream continuity. Since it debuted in 1977, there have been 13 13 separate series as well as the occasional standalone issues. The cosmic being known as Uatu the Watcher observes these variations from his base on Earth's moon and narrates the tales, offering comment while never interfering. Well, almost never interfering. Some early favorite storylines were, what if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four? What if Gwen Stacy had lived? What if Conan the Barbarian were stranded in the 20th century? Uh, it's a fun concept, offering creators a chance to directly address fan speculation and even their complaints. Why didn't Scott and Jean get married earlier? Oh, we'll show you why through this wedding album issue right here. You think you know what's right for Scott and Jean? If things went your way, reader, everyone would be dead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, there is this kind of like back and forth push and pull effect happening between writer and reader, almost like the writer is creating a backdoor justification for what originally happened in continuity. But for me, it feels like um, it's so transparent because they're only showing us like one timeline of infinite timelines. So I'm like, well, isn't there one where like they got married earlier and not everybody decided to leave the X-Men? Yeah, I mean, it is just one window, right? It's the one window that Uatu shows you. And if you go by how What If is explained in the recent cartoon series and the Loki show, you know, every choice you make creates another universe. So, you know, if you go left or right, that's a choice. But there are many ways you could go left. There are many ways you could go right. <laughs> like you're making a bajillion choices every day. So there are a bajillion, bajillion, bajillion realities out there. And really the choice you're seeing here in this comic is the choice of its writer, right? Mm -hmm. It's a singular point of view. Well, it starts me thinking about like, what are Uwatu's motivations? <laughs> is it part of his job? Like he's supposed to be like this impartial guy, but there seems to be some motivation in him going like, hey, stay on your timeline. Yeah, and he's clearly talking to someone and that someone is us. So why is he showing us this stuff, right? Like, I, I don't know. It's it's a fascinating concept. And one created by former Marvel editor-in-chief Roy Thomas. After he stepped down from his editorial duties, Marvel kept him around as a fan favorite writer, but Thomas did not want to dive into the deep waters of Marvel continuity. He just wanted to have fun and what if 
was his answer. Now, his saga with What If is a fascinating and sometimes tumultuous journey. I'd highly recommend that all of you jump on over to Comics XF and give their recent interview with Roy Thomas a read. Yes, there's another link <laughs> in the show notes. In that interview, he mentions how his love for alternate realities stemmed from things outside of comics, not just DC's Silver Age Earth 2, which, P.S., will factor greatly into our upcoming Green Arrow and Black Canary series. Uh, Thomas name-checks science fiction novels like Not This August by C.M. Kornbluth, uh, The Sound of His Horn by John William Well, and The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick which recently had a really great television adaptation uh, that you should all check out. And while we're plugging other content from CBCC Friends, if you're in a what-if obsessive kind of mood, we'd also suggest checking out the new podcast Dear Watchers, done by hosts Rob and Guido. They have an awesome chemistry, and they really highlight the joy and history behind these nutso what-if comics. Their latest episode on what if the Scarlet Witch and Vision were together in 50 years should very much speak to comic book couples counseling listeners. It's a yes. lot of fun. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, Scott and Jean getting married in X X-Men number 30 was a pretty huge deal for a lot of readers at the time, which is March of 1994. Uh, the will they won't they dynamic had reached its limit, which is a big LOL considering where their relationship goes from there. <laughs> so many more ups and downs, friends. Again, see new X-Men. Damn you, Grant Arr, Morrison. <laughs> Scott and Jean get hitched and it was a major Marvel Comics event celebrated throughout the direct market with fabricated invitations and everything. As I talked about in those early CBCC episodes, Scott and Jean's romance was tied very much to my pubescence. Ew. <laughs> and I was deeply invested in them making it work. X-Men 30 felt like a validation of so much pent up teenage <laughs> hormones. Gross, Lisa. I know. I'm very sorry. But are they Lois and Clark? Do they feel complete together? Or are we forcing something that should not be here? This What If Wedding album gives us another opportunity to look at their relationship and consider whether they really do belong together or not. Currently in Marvel continuity, they are a family again, but... There's also Wolverine hanging out in their quarters. That third wheel has seemingly completed a thruple. That's how many would like it. And maybe that's how I'd like it. I don't know. I'm still trying to work my feelings out regarding the thruple situation. I love it. I kind of dig it. I do too. Um, but and like this issue, the What If Wedding album will speak to that thruple uh, in a surprising way. Yeah. Although we're going to have to talk about the whole Phoenix not being Jean Grey situation once yeah, again. Yeah, uh, But before we can talk Scott and Jean and Wolverine and Phoenix, we got to discuss our love expert, Lisa. Gary Chapman, he's back. How are we going to be incorporating the five love languages into this week's episode? Of course, we can't go back to Scott Summers and Jean Grey without bringing along our very first expert, Gary Chapman, of the five love languages. No other love expert of ours has had the sticking power <laughs> of Gary Chapman, and the vocabulary we've taken from his book has become integral to our practice. Words of affirmation, 
love tank, our entire outro is actually structured around the five love languages. I think that what makes the love languages so sticky is that you can comprehend the concept within a one minute explanation. Mm. And everyone identifies quickly with one or two of the love languages. Unlike uh, the Bowen's family systems theory that we used for Dick and Babs, after four episodes, I still don't think I completely understand <laughs> what that was all about. Gary Chapman's love languages is built around the concepts that after the initial stage of infatuation in a romance, love immediately begins to dissipate. If you don't choose to actively participate in the care and maintenance of that love, both parties will ultimately grow apart and become discontent. Chapman likens it to gas in the car. If you don't continually refill the tank, the car will roll to a stop. So periodically, to keep your partner's engine of love running, you gotta stick that nozzle in and pump, 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 pump away. Lisa, PG, PG. What? It's a metaphor. <laughs> but not everyone's love tank takes the same type of fuel. And that's where that metaphor stalls out and the next one begins, <laughs> the love languages. There are five general ways that we express and receive love that Mr. Chapman refers to as the love languages. They are, ooh, bulleted list, Brad. Patow! That's my line. Oh, sorry. Patow! <laughs> Words of affirmation. So that can be compliments, professions, assurances. Patow! Uh. <laughs> Physical touch, which can be sexy time, cuddling, hand-holding, smoochies, nuzzles. I like those. Patow! Uh. Gifts. This is often looked at as the shallowest of the love languages, but the gifts can be literally anything. They're just little physical monuments of love. They can be a diamond tennis bracelet or just a shiny rock that made you think of your loved one. Patow! Uh. Acts of service, favors, gestures of care and help. And the last one is Patel. <laughs> Quality time. Times where you are fully present with your person, free of distractions, thinking purely of each other. I love the love languages almost as much as I love a bulleted list. Patow. <laughs> Patow, indeed. I really do love the love languages. I think like the vocabulary, as you say, is very helpful. And I think we all kind of participate in those love languages at one point or another anyway. But people tend to identify greatest or with one or two of yeah. these love languages, which um, leads to like fluency in those love languages. For example, Brad and I actually share our primary love language. Both of us are words of affirmation, as our regular listeners know. My secondary love language is acts of service, while Brad's is physical touch. We compliment each other and ask each other for assurances all, all of the, the time. time. We are also one of those couples that says I love you several all times time. a day. <laughs> I know, it's it's saccharine. Brett also fills my love tank by doing acts of service. Like when I get up in the morning and I see that the dishes are done, it's like extra satisfying to me. Yeah, and it's, when you don't see them done. It's like you don't love me anymore. Yeah, I, get, I hear <laughs> you, I hear you. <laughs> and how I fulfill Brad's secondary love language of physical touch is private, you guys. Some stuff has to stay in the love nest. Yeah, that's for our OnlyFans. Oh my. <laughs> After the course of our first four sessions with Scott and Jean, we found that Scott and Jean had different love languages. Scott Summers is act of service, and Jean is 
is bilingual. She is quality time and physical touch. Their contrasting love languages actually lead to a lot of tension and misunderstanding in their relationship because without knowledge of the love languages, individuals tend to show their love in the way that they'd like to receive love. This is particularly challenging for Scott because Jean is an omega level mutant, so powerful that she doesn't really need any acts of service from him. And he can become completely tongue tied love language wise. We witnessed Jean asking him to just be with her in the moment, but he had a difficult time giving her that quality time because he was always so distracted thinking about yeah. the ways that he could be of service. Scott put a lot of energy into trying to do acts of service to prove his love to her in a way that he understood. But Jean didn't really interpret it as love as much as they're spooning in a remote desert <laughs> with no other X-Men around. Right. The idea is, by understanding your partner's love language, you can be more adept at showing them your love in a way that they can feel seen and truly appreciate and better fill their love tank. You can also ask for love in a way that helps you feel seen and heard. Brad and I quickly discovered that the love languages could also be used for evil because yeah. in the Dark Phoenix saga, Mastermind was able to manipulate Jean through her love languages by posing as Jason Wingard, physically, psychically infiltrating her mind and sweeping her off her corset. <laughs> he gave her that quality time and physical touch her love tank was aching for that Scott was failing to give her. Some of my very favorite comics, that Black Queen stuff. Yeah, me too. I, I like, I love it. It's cheesy, but I love it. So good. Though we embraced the concepts of the love languages, there were aspects of Gary Chapman's book, The Five Love Languages, that we found problematic. Not so good. First, there was no acknowledgement that romantic relationships exist beyond the heterosexual, so many will feel underrepresented by this book. Secondly, he believed that the love languages could save any relationship, so there is no reason for any marriage to separate ever, and that fulfilling loving relationships could come from essentially any two people, even without that initial falling in love stage. Brad and I are huge advocates for breaking up when you're not in love with someone, especially when a relationship is toxic and negatively impacting your mental well-being. Yeah. Toward the end of the book, Gary Chapman used an example of one of his successes, I'm using quotation marks, <laughs> where he advised a wife to lie back and take the physical affection of her <sighs> husband despite not feeling attracted to him anymore because he was verbally abusive to her. So we can just throw this book out then, Lisa. Yeah, I mean, like, that, it's like, re like really some garbage stuff in yeah, this book. Yeah, super gross. But the languages really did speak to us and we've continued to embrace them because they did give us that vocabulary. So so how we how we have justified this in our mind is that we are taking the concept but leaving the book and leaving Gary Chapman in the dust. Yeah. Good idea. Terrible person, perhaps. Yeah. F that noise. Yeah. The languages are totally ours now. We are just weeding the garden of that idea, leaving the trash and taking what is nourishing for our conversation and relationship. For example, sweetheart, do you know what I could use right now? Some words of affirmation. No, 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 no
yes, we've now reached the portion of the podcast where we can bask in some words of affirmation. We've received so much feedback from you folks on our Twitter page, Facebook page, and Instagram page. It means a lot every time we connect truly. It, it fills our love tanks. Yeah, absolutely. And we also received several extremely kind five-star reviews over on our Apple podcast page. Guys, these little reviews don't take a lot of time, but they mean the world to this podcast. Mm. We've received so many this past year, and they've seriously boosted our listenership. Thank you. Thank you so much. So much. And whenever we get these little reviews, we just have to share them here on the pod. Yeah, we gotta. We've got five to share, four shorties and one hefty. Size doesn't matter, you guys. No, it doesn't. Thank you, Lisa. Up first from Peyton Clary. Great podcast. Five stars. This podcast has fun and exciting topics and is a blast to listen to. From Sharon Farr and Holt. A great podcast. Five stars. Entertaining and fun. Enjoyed this very much. From Van Sow. Absolutely love this show. Five stars. Such an original idea for a comics podcast. Plus, Brad and Lisa are awesome hosts with really fun energy. It's great. Aw. The next one is from Zach Q, who is actually Zach Quaintance, who runs Comic Book Case, which you should all be reading. It's a great site. Plus, I'm writing reviews over there. Yeah, very exciting. Are. Here's his review. Just a fantastic podcast. Five stars. Brad and Lisa are a force for good in comics. Their podcast is always fun, and their taste in comics is impeccable. Highly recommend. Those are the three exclamation points. Always like multiple exclamation points. Uh, finally, from Cap Eric, who I think is the co-host of the other incredible podcast, Geek Explained. They just did a rundown of the top 10 essential Captain America comics. Go give them a listen. Here's what he had to say. My new favorite podcast, five stars. Holy, powerful, and poetic podcast, Batman. Brad and Lisa are two of the most welcoming podcast hosts in the game right now. Their insight into not just comics, but mental and emotional well-being are top-notch. I started at the beginning with their Scott and Gene series, my fave, and haven't stopped listening since. The conversations are engaging and fun and bring a new dimension to these characters we all know and love. Plus, any podcast that can get me to cry, Don and Norrin finale, you know the one, is an instant favorite for me, and I look forward to each episode. Subscribe and get to listening. I promise you won't regret it. Patow! Patow! He even got one of those in there? Yeah. That was very sweet. Patow. Gotta love it. Ugh. Those were all so sweet. Thank you to each and every one of you who took the time to give our podcast five stars. That's the only number of stars we accept. <laughs> you guys, we're, we're still a small and growing little pod. Um, but if you, too, would like your review read on the podcast, we would love to do so. You can find the link in our show notes. More, more links for you to <laughs> put into our little link garden. So many links in the show notes. Uh, but Scott and Gene, they're banging on the doors of the waiting room. They want to get in. So let's talk about this comment comic book. It's time to go hang out with Uatu the Watcher and peer through the multiverse. We're digging into What If Volume 2, Issue 60, published by Marvel Comics in March of 1994, just one month after X-Men 30's triumphant nuptials. The comic is written by Kurt Busaic, penciled by Ron Randall, inked by Art Nichols, colored by Bob Sharon, and lettered by Janice Chang. The plot is just three questions. What if Scott Summers and Jean Grey had married earlier? What if Scott Summers and Jean Grey had never fallen in love? What if Phoenix had fallen for Wolverine? That's it. That's all you need to know. 
Swing those doors open, Brad. It's time to go into session. This what-if issue is unique within the context of other what-if issues because it is three questions. Mm -hmm. Usually it's one question. And those three questions I ruined for you. You did. Before you ever picked up the comic book. And I'm kind of curious, when you heard what those three what-if scenarios were, was there one that you were more excited about? Of course, I was super excited to watch Jean Grey make out with Wolverine. <laughs> Who isn't? Yeah. But curiously, like, that didn't turn out to be the most fascinating story to me. Yeah. Yes, I, I agree that it's not my favorite of the three stories. And I also was shocked when I read it and that to be the case. It still contains my favorite image from the yes. entire comic because that splash page where it says, like, what if Phoenix... Uh, had fallen for Wolverine. That image, which serves as the image for this episode, like I mean, that's that's so good. The expression on Jean's face, so good. Her hand is in Wolverine's cookie jar. Yeah, and the panel that comes before that one of Scott like opening the door and be like in total <laughs> oh, shock. No. Oh no! Which is funny. Funny enough, that exact scenario is redone, and I don't think consciously, but is redone in Fantastic Four Grand Design, the Tom Scioli comic, where Reed walks in on Sue and Namor. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah. I think it's like a classic nightmare. Yeah, it's a melodrama like, nightmare. Yeah. It's a soap opera nightmare, for sure. And yeah, it's freaking lovely and delicious. Yes, intriguing. All right, well, don't tell me which one is your actual favorite what-if scenario until we get there, and I'll do the same for you. Now, the comic actually opens with the Watcher peeping in on the X-Men 30 wedding of our continuity, of the 616 continuity. And the first panel depicts Storm, and we actually gaze into her thoughts through the captions. In the 616 timeline, we actually don't spend any time with Scott and Jean. They're just busy having their perfect wedding day, all of these what-if scenarios are actually being proposed by the guests that I guess are just stand-in for us. Yeah. Who have been going like, well, you know, it's about time these two have gotten married, or I really wish she did end up with Wolverine. And they're talking about how, like, this needs to be a perfect day, and that's why the comic starts with Storm. She's out there making sure that the weather behaves for Scott and Jean. I always wonder, though, like, when she's, like, changing the weather, like... Uh, does it just screw up all of the atmosphere <laughs> around that little bubble? Well, I think about people like us, right, who have migraines based <laughs> on pressure. So, like, is she, she's making a perfect day for Scott and Jean, but she's, like, destroying some poor mortals' brains <laughs> down below. Oh, yeah, I never thought about that. But these first two pages are really doing the heavy lifting of of Marvel editorial saying like, you've waited a long time for Scott and Jean to come together. We agree with you. This is an OTP situation. This is our Lois and Clark, right? They belong together, but it had to happen now. It couldn't have happened in any other way. And all these other scenarios that you may have dreamed about, they weren't right for this comic either or for this universe either. I love what Uatu has to say about Kitty Pride taking photographs mm. because like he goes like what a futile piece of documentation that is because you have a still image of a moment that you're going to stare at it with 
dis with the changed perspective of dif distance and time. And what you have is something that is completely inaccurate. Right, it doesn't right. capture anything about what the truth of that moment really is. The photograph is a lie. Or it's just a way that we trick ourselves. Like we go like, okay, everybody stand together and smile. Mm -hmm. And then we'll look at this and we'll go like, look, we were happy. Weren't we happy? You know? A lot of what Uatu was actually saying really resonated with me. This idea that inevitability is actually an illusion, mm. just like the photograph. He says, the twisted skeins of fate and chance are far more delicate than you can imagine. So yeah. the idea of like, well, if you change one element of the past, you would end up with a present you don't even recognize. Right, but what is weird to me about the What If Wedding album is that the three scenarios that they do present are all scenarios in which things are not as good as the scenario that we're getting in the 616. Well, that's what makes me like question Uatu, because I think what Uatu, because uh, like a there are infinite versions right. of what happened if you know Scott and Jean got married earlier but he's only showing us one right right so i wonder if his like his motivation is like just be grateful that you're on the timeline that you're on there really is no point in wondering if things had happened differently because uh, if things happened differently back then, everything would be different today. And aren't you grateful with what you have? Yeah, this is why I love you on the podcast, Lisa, because I see this and I go like, oh, Marvel editorials really trying to massage what they have created here. And you don't take any of that into account. You're like, no, this is the comic. Watu has motivations. This is why he's presenting us these three scenarios. Uh, to me, that's the most interesting way to read a comic book is like, what if all of these people are real? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's <laughs> what we do here at Comic Book Couples Counseling. And sometimes I like, I just want to. You love to talk. You want to analyze Marvel editorial. <laughs> we don't have them on our couch. <laughs> we don't have them. On one day. Well, we did, we did have, have Todd Brevoort. Yeah, we did have Todd Brevoort. But he was a, he, he was a tough cookie. Yeah, he, did, he didn't want to crack on that side. He didn't want to talk about his feelings. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Uh, okay, anyway, anyway, back to Uatu and his motivations. What kicks the first what-if question off is Uatu overhears Lorna talking to Hank and going like, you know, we spend so much time being shot at and <laughs> being in danger, and it's just nice to ha like have a reason to throw a party. Yeah. And if Scott and Jean had gotten married way earlier, we would have been spared a lot of heartbreak. And Uatu hears that and goes like, but what if? What if they had gotten married earlier? Well, I'll show you. And then Uatu ushers us into a timeline of his choosing uh, that starts with Hank leaving the X-Men. Now, this is a thing that did also happen in the 616, right? Y yes, but my memory of it was a little hazy or fuzzy or phasey, if you <laughs> want to call it. But I went to Wikipedia and discovered that Hank has actually attempted to leave the X-Men a couple times before this. Early on, he was like stressed out with trying to keep a secret identity and be an X-Men, so he left to become a professional wrestler. Okay. But this time, this time he left to become a researcher for the brand corporation to get like a serious day job. Okay, that makes sense because 
Scott refers to it as like graduating the X-Men to go off and have a normal life. So he and Gene take that as a cue of, okay, well, we can get married. Apparently, Scott has had a side gig at a a radio station. Yep. And And they've offered him a full-time gig. And she is in advertising? Apparently. That's good balancing. Good balancing. I really need to go back and read these early issues of the X-Men comics because they were so important to me as a child. And revisiting them, they are just utterly wild. Marvel Comics has always been filled with soap opera melodrama. You know, fantastic for, uh, like, we just love all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But the X-Men, for me, is the ultimate expression of their melodrama. It takes, like, the soap opera and then rises it to 90210 level. And it's always that part of the X-Men that draw me in. I hear, like, oh, he has a part-time job at a radio station. What's that all about? Let's follow that comic. (laughs) So the happy couple breaks it to Professor X, like, hey, we're leaving, we're gonna get married, have this completely separate life. And Professor X is, at first, super gracious about it. He's like, I'm super happy for you guys. And he gives uh, Scott some words of affirmation. I am confident you'll make a resounding success in your new life. Subtext, I'm not at all afraid of dying alone. (laughs) But he should be because the moment they leave, everyone else is like, they're making uh, the real world look great. Why should we be X-Men? And now it's time for Bobby and Warren to ditch the team. And Lorna as well. And they don't do it at all in any kind of sympathetic way. They, like, Professor X is like, hey guys, wanna romp around in the danger room? And they're like, actually, no, we're (laughs) leaving you. And it's clear that Professor X is hurt, but one of them off panel, you don't see who it is, says like, well, that's what you've been training us for, right? So that we could ultimately leave. And as Professor X is rolling out, he says like, of course, if that's how you truly feel. I wanna point something out about Professor X. I think that his love language is the same as Scott. Mm. I think that he is an acts of service but I don't think that all of the other X-Men are interpreting that as like this paternal love. No. So they're all thinking like, okay, well, I'm a young adult. I should be starting my life. And he's saying like, why would you leave me after everything, all of this love that I've shown you guys? Yeah, they don't pick up on that love. They don't pick up on his love language. They don't pick up on his intense, passive aggressive nature either. He's throwing a lot of shade around. I, I, I would love to get deeper into what makes Professor X so insecure. He is always panicking about being left behind, being excluded. And the way he goes about trying to make him feel safe ultimately just ends up pushing people away no matter what timeline he's in. I think we could do a really great four episode series on Professor X. And there are other relationships that we could use to get into what makes him tick and what his issues are. Certainly. But we're in a significant moment 
regarding 616 continuity. This is the giant size X-Men issue. This is the Krakoa moment. This is when the original team minus Beast, because he had gone away, uh, Marvel Girl, Iceman, Angel, Cyclops, plus Havoc and Polaris, they went to this mysterious island of Krakoa. Something went down and Cyclops escapes. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and when he gets back to Professor X, that's when Professor X is like, we need a new team to go rescue our old buds and that's when Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, Thunderbird, Wolverine, and Sunfire plus like Banshee become the new X-Men and they go back and then they discover that Krakow is this living island and then Polaris like shoots Krakow into space the end, happy-go-lucky but because the original team never goes on that first mission they're not the ones that get trapped by Krakoa, right? So Professor X forms this new X-Men team a little earlier, and these new recruits, they go to Krakoa, and they're captured. And because they're so green, Professor X is with them. Right. So it was Krakoa that actually sent Cyclops back right. to trick Charles Xavier into sending him, sending him more mutants. Yeah, more to, food. To feed on... But because he's got Professor X, Krakoa has no choice but to go on the move, and Krakoa attacks Tokyo. And what I love about that is Krakoa doesn't take over the world. The Avengers are still the Avengers, and they team up with Sunfire in Tokyo, and they take down Krakoa. However, we learn that those that first X-Men team, this new X-Men team, are all devoured by Krakoa. Including Professor X. Including Professor X. And so because Scott and Jean got married a little earlier, they caused the death of Charles. But and everyone else. <laughs> all the other X-Men. But what I find fascinating is that while the, all of this Krakoa stuff was brewing, all of the X-Men who had left the team were thriving right. and doing really good work. Warren Worthington at Angel at his corporation had started best hiring practices to hire mutants and non-mutants equally. Right, so they are fulfilling Charles's dream better than he was doing with his military unit of the X-Men. Scott and Jean... Uh, I guess through their combined powers of public radio and advertising, <laughs> yeah. become super successful and famous and go on Johnny Carson, where they are also advocating for mutant rights. And they have an infant named Charles yeah. that they love yeah. and doesn't seem to exist in any other timeline no, right. and wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right, so what I want to do is, Uatu, can we just hang out here for a bit? I, I know it's real sad that these X-Men are all dead and Professor X is no more, but uh, it seems like everything else on the planet's going pretty great. And Krakoa never actually reaches Tokyo. No. Moon Dragon and the Avengers took care of yeah, it. Yeah, they do their job. But this story does end with Scott and Jean having that nagging question of, if we had been part of the X-Men, would Charles Xavier still be alive? And there's, they 
both end up going like, well, we have no idea. <laughs> like, this is the timeline that we're on. Yeah, this is our path. This is what we get. We, we deal with what we're dealt. Actually, this is interesting. Bobby goes like, Professor X would have, wouldn't have wanted us to stay in the X-Men out of fear of what was going to happen to him. And the, the way that ends, Bobby, would be like, he wanted us to stay out of love for him. And now he's died surrounded by a green team that was not ready to take care of themselves. This ending must be particularly torturous for Scott, yeah. who goes like, the way I love is to be of service. Right. And I was not able to help in this situation. Right. Therefore, Which, I didn't love Charles enough. I, yeah, and I think that's why, you know, the biggest panel on that ending of that story is focused on Scott's forlorn expression. Mm, yeah. And I would imagine if we were to continue down this timeline to see what Scott did after this, he is going to be beating himself up for not being there to save Charles, and he probably will end up destroying his marriage and his relationship with uh, baby Charles. Oh my goodness, that is painful but true. That is so true. That is what Scott does. <laughs> <laughs> and then our omnipotent narrator comes back in and says like, well, that's just one of the timelines of how things could have turned out. Which to me goes like, well, show us another one, friend. Show us the one where Scott and Jean get married earlier, but they stay in the X-Men. Nope, that's not what you're going to get. You're going to get, what if Scott Summers went full incel? <laughs> yes, this is the story that I found super intriguing. Yeah, say it's my favorite of the three. Yeah, and it starts with the rudest thing guests at a wedding could do. <laughs> During the actual ceremony, back in the 616 timeline, Scott and Jean's wedding, Kurt leans over... <laughs> to Warren and goes like, this must feel like crap for you because you were totally hard for Gene. And, and uh, Warren's like, what could I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that that is in the spirit of the original 616. Like, you know, Warren was one of the potential boyfriends of Jean Grey in those early issues. Of course, because she was the only chick. Right, right, right. Eventually Polaris came around. And Lisa, we can't forget about Candy Southern, Warren's oh, true yeah. love. <laughs> she looked totally banging in a bathing suit. Those construction workers in the Dark Phoenix saga sure distracted. thought so. Distracted. Yeah, they were super distracted. Okay, all right. What if Scott Summers and Jean Grey had never fallen in love at all? Oh, I forgot to mention something that I found really interesting. The actual thing that sets off Uwatu is that Warren says, like, what could I do? Scott and Jean were meant to be. Mm. And Uwatu comes in and goes, like, there's no such thing really as meant to be. It is not a universal constant that Scott and Jean end up together. Like, it's just, like... In this set of circumstances, it's what happened. Right, and so now I'm going to show you a story where they don't get together and everything is wonderful. And, oh yeah, it goes super smooth. <laughs> super smooth. <laughs> just like Warren Worthington's charisma. Uh, no, just like his opening line, like, what's your power, lady, making a man's heart beat faster? <laughs> <laughs> and like, what, what does not connect Scott and Gene in this reality is that Scott 
can't get out of his wallflower nature. Mm. He just glues himself to the side of this team and never really like gets noticed by Jean Grey. And Jean does end up falling for Warren. But Scott still falls for Jean's. That that seems to be a universal constant. Like, because she is the only lady right, around right, for right, many right, right. months. Yeah, he just keeps all his, like, you know, hormones uh, locked up or shut up. And, yeah, and so he ends up just going, like, well, I could very well end up alone. So if I can't have a lady, if I can't have Jean Grey, I'm going to have the X-Men. And he throws himself fully into his work. And he succeeds in a degree that the first Scott didn't. You know, he leads the charge against the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He finds them at Santa Marco. He leads the attack with Professor X and everybody else. The problem is he's because he is still infatuated with Jean Grey, he's distracted by their flirty nature between Warren and Jean. And while he's distracted, he doesn't notice that a door up ahead is booby trapped and the beast runs to go get to that door but Professor X goes like, hold up, something's wrong. And then Professor X throws himself. <laughs> Somehow he has the ability to fly out of his chair. I imagine that it's just pure core strength. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Professor X's legs don't work, but underneath that top, he is like ripped. Yeah, and so he propels using his arms. Pilates. Yeah, and then he goes right into the door. The door explodes, and guess what, Professor X not dead. Gravely injured. And his mental powers are knocked out. So the next time we see him and Cyclops, Cyclops is next to his hospital bed, promising to redouble his efforts. And he actually turns down an opportunity to hang out with Bobby and the gang so he can focus on finding Magneto again. Which he does because Cyclops is good at his job. But what ends up happening is that he's on this, he ends up in like this perilous spot and Warren has to save him and then he's a complete a-hole about it. Well, yeah. So after the mission, Scott goes to Professor X to give his full report and Professor X is like, no need, I actually lied about having my powers knocked yeah. out and I was spying on you with my psychic <laughs> powers the whole time. Yeah. Don't worry, it was a test oh, and you passed. But of course, Cyclops is furious. Right, and that sends him back to Magneto, or really it sends him back to Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, who recruit him to join the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. That's not how it happens. So uh, Cyclops goes into this complete rage and he becomes completely self-absorbed and further withdrawn. P apparently, Professor X has a conference or something to go to. And so <laughs> instead of leaving Cray Cray Cyclops in charge, he right. le he leaves Hank in charge, right. and Cyclops is Furious. super hurt. Yeah. He feels unloved because he's been specifically asked not to help. Yeah. And so, yeah, then he gets recruited yeah. into the Brotherhood of the Evil Mutants. And I want to read that comic. I want to keep going with this story. Don't worry, because... Cyclops ends up going completely psycho evil in the 616 as well. So just hang around and Cyclops is bound to turn bad at some point. That's true. But like, I do think that this version of evil Cyclops is different from like the AVX Cyclops or the Age of Apocalypse mm. Cyclops or even like the revolutionary, you know, Brian Michael Bendis uncanny X-Men Cyclops. But the way that they recruit him appeals to his love language because he's approached by Scarlet Witch, 
who says, like, I see a kindred soul in you. I see a fellow outsider. And we want the same thing. We just want justice for the mutants, the justice that they deserve. And the X-Men have asked you not to be of service. Right. And we see how useful you are, how smart you are. Yeah, and he, like, I do think that this version of Scarlet Witch could fulfill all the things that Jean Grey did for him back in the 616 timeline at this point in time. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it does make sense. And Ma But Magneto ends up screwing him over way sooner, apparently, in this timeline. But at that point, it's already too late. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I just, I loved this story, and I was sad that it ended. But I was also happy because now we move into the, the most tantalizing question, what if Phoenix had fallen for Wolverine? So Wolverine at the reception is uh, conspicuously absent. Turns out he's off in the nearby woods sulking. Like if if Warren had a thing for Jean Grey, uh, Logan has what's what's more than a thing, Lisa? What's he has like that kind of unrequited poet love. I mean, it's an obsession. It's like an aching burning, angry love He for also joined, joined the team later. Yeah. Where Warren, he, it was a while ago. Those wounds have had a chance to- Yeah, that's true. Like kind of heal over. Where uh, Wolverine is still pretty, it's all pretty fresh. Yeah. In Marvel comic book time, Logan has probably only been on the X-Men team for maybe a decade, if maybe no, maybe like five years. So yeah, it's a it's a fresh wound, it's a fresh hurt that he is carrying. It is further complicated by the fact that this what if scenario takes place pre-Dark Phoenix saga, but this is Phoenix, not Jean Grey, technically. I always kind of uh, conveniently forget that fact because Phoenix had copied Jean Grey over so completely that Phoenix even had a hard time remembering that she was not Jean Grey. Yeah, and the whole Phoenix not being Jean Grey thing sort of was retconned in those early issues of X Factor. Like not to, canon for me. And, and and not canon for me either. When I read Dark Phoenix Saga, Phoenix is Jean Grey. Jean Grey is Phoenix. And being reminded of the fact that that's not the case in this issue just chaps my butt. <laughs> well, it makes me think about um, how Swamp Thing isn't technically yeah. Alec Holland, but he was carrying the entire personal history, the entire narrative of Alec Holland. So who are we if not our narratives? Right, 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 right. So we can still look at even this issue you're saying and go like, this is Jean Grey. Yeah. Okay, all right. And what I love about this what if question is where it starts. It starts in Cyclops' discovery that Jean and Wolverine are making out. What's actually crazy to me, Brad, is that this is supposed to be Scott and Jean's what-if wedding issue, and this is the first time we're actually talking about what Jean Grey may mm. want. Yeah, that's true, that's true. So her love language is quality time and physical touch, so the way this goes down totally makes 
sense to me because the reason Scott is looking for her is because there's some kind of strategy conference going on. So there's a team meeting and she's not present. And so I'm sure her love tank from time to time got a little empty waiting around for quality time with the golden boy. And we saw that in our discussion of the Dark Phoenix Saga in our first episode. Absolutely. So now there's Logan who has needs of his own. He has love tank issues of his own and they find each other available for some of that quality time, physical touch and boom, they're making out in front of Scott. They're not making out in front of Scott. They just didn't lock the door. Why (laughs) don't you lock the door? I don't know. I I mean, with uh, Professor X having probably built this building, I'm sure that none of the doors have locked. <laughs> he wants access at all times. That's right. To to your outsides and your insides. Oh, no. No, uh, Lisa. <laughs> now, we know from previous episodes that Wolverine's love language is actually words of affirmation that he doesn't get very often because of his tough exterior. So when Gene breaks it to Scott, like, Ever since I got this Phoenix situation going on, I just need to be a wild woman. I can't explain it. Like, but we've got to break up. What Wolverine says is, looks like the better man won. Right, right, right. So, I mean, he's getting those words of affirmation from Gene because of his nature. Um. Yeah, like, and also his love tank is empty. So he's trying to affirm himself by comparing himself to, to Scott. Scott. Yeah. Like, um, in this competition, I deserve the affirmation because I'm the winner. And, you know, like, I love this question. I was so excited to get to this what if. But the disappointing aspect of this what if is how basic it goes from this point forward, knowing what we know about the Dark Phoenix saga, right? So it comes down to the bond that Wolverine and Phoenix have is not as strong as the bond that Scott and Jean had. But the reason Uwatu gives is not because their love isn't the quality of love that he she had with Scott or because Scott is a better match for her. It's because they simply didn't have as much time together. So it, it goes back to Uwatu going like, there is no meant to be. There isn't one true person. It's just that the timing of Logan and Jean's relationship was not perfect to avoid a Phoenix f- destroying the entire universe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this is the most cataclysmic uh, what if because it means that not only is it bad for Scott and Jean and all the X-Men, it's bad for you and me, the reader, or whoever's populating this universe. But I think it's a way of kind of having your Logan cake and eating it too. Cause it doesn't say like Logan and Jean, bad match, never would have worked. Like that's not what Uatu is saying. Uatu is saying like they would have made a lovely couple. They loved each other very much. The timing would have been completely off. So is there a what if multiverse branch where they didn't hook up right before the Dark Phoenix saga, that they waited a little bit longer, (laughs) got that all taken care of. Well, but then Jean goes away for a while, or Phoenix goes away for a while. So, mm, like, how do we get... 
I mean, you know, Gene and Logan, they get a little hot and heavy during the Grant Morrison stuff. We revisit that. Mm -hmm. The comic does revisit this relationship uh, periodically. It, I mean, that would be a great series of episodes. Four episodes on Logan and Gene. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we're going to get around to it. Yeah, and if we do that, we got to do Scott and Emma, right? And we, that's not going to infuriate some of our listeners. I mean, you know, we definitely had some, uh, what's the opposite of words of affirmation? Words of derision <laughs> during our uh, episode four we didn't Team take Schema. It, we, didn't, we didn't take it personally, you guys. No, never, never, never. A little bit. But while I don't love this what if segment, as much as the other two, this one does deliver some hilarious and gloriously pathetic panels mm. featuring Scott in the foreground, observing in the distance Logan and Gene snuggling or kissing and things like that. I wonder if Gene actually finds her relationship with Wolverine more satisfying in the moment, just because. Scott tends to be like all business. Like when he's with his X-Men, he wants to seem emotionally available to everyone. And Wolverine loves PDA. Yeah, and and I think so does Gene. Yeah. So I, I'm sure that they are off in their corner having their little bliss moment at the, in a way that she and Scott never really got to have. And it's killing Scott. So like you see this like just... Big, stern frown on these foreground panels of Scott trying to ignore the lust that is behind him and in front of him and all around him. It's, I mean, it's got to be agonizing. I mean, everybody has had that experience of having, like, some kind of torturous crush. Yeah. And it's a horrible feeling. And I'm sure that it's only, like, magnified by the fact that they're also co-workers and kind of family members because of the X-Men situation? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would say to Scott, you got to get out of the X-Mansion once you make this discovery. Go. Yeah, you know, they're all where they are because of a series of choices that led to that moment. Like, what if Jean Grey was like, you know what? I'm not really going to tell people about my mind reading thing. I'm just going to keep this to myself and lead a normal life. Where would Scott be then? Mm. Because in each of one of these timelines, either he's with Gene or he's pining after Gene. And maybe like if Gene wasn't there, he would be with someone else and yeah. really happy and yeah. fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. And her too, right? Like What if, man? Yeah, what if? Uh, you know, I loved revisiting Scott and Jean for this episode because they are because because they are my like original crush couple. OTP, yeah. yeah they're my OG OTP. <laughs> because of that, I want to on this podcast revisit them periodically, whether that is through Logan and Jean episodes or Scott and Emma episodes, but you know, we only covered four storylines with Scott and Gene. I think in a year, two years, whenever, we can come back and have more conversations around Scott and Gene. There are so many stories there. And, like, we need to get into the Krakoa era yes. of X-Men on this podcast. We really haven't done that at all. Absolutely, yeah. But, Lisa, getting back to the question of whether or not Scott and Gene belong together as a couple— or better yet, like, do you prefer them as a couple the way that I do Lois and Clark or Peter and Mary Jane? I do like Scott and Jean together. And to me, it makes like a lot of narrative sense that their relationship is constantly strained because unlike 
Lois and Clark and Peter and MJ, Scott and Jean are so rarely just those two. Right. They have all of the other personalities of the X-Men to contend with. And I think that just that environment of being around people all of the time, never being able to vent or decompress and always having to be on is going to lead to the melodrama that we find so delicious. Right. So when we do read a miniseries like The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix and we just get them together, it is exciting in a new way because it's just them working things out. And when they're alone and everything is going great... They are really, they really do find fulfilling relationships with each other. It's like when we get us at our worst, we can, like if you took a snapshot yeah. of us at each other's throats over some weird thing, just because there's like a weird energy and all of a sudden both of us are crying. Sure, like sure. Like, uh, you know, people could look at that snapshot and go like, I don't see how the, this couple makes it work. Do do Brad and Lisa really belong together? Right, right. I, you know, like to, to me, there is an element to Scott and Jean's relationship that I think you're alluding to, which is the will they, won't they, that is baked into their narrative mm -hmm. and the way that the publisher, the editors, the writers want to present the tension of that relationship that sometimes percolates in, you know, Peter and M MJ. I mean, you know, one more day, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, and, and also in Superman and Lois, like, you know, drama is important, but ultimately when we reset on those relationships, they come back together. And we have recently reset on Scott and Jean in the Krakoa years, and they are together, but also now with possibly Wolverine as their thruple. Yeah. Like, what com complicates the question for me is because in real life, I don't actually believe in a one true, one true pair, and right. in, in a one true love. Whomever you choose to be with is the person that you are rounding up to one. If I may steal something from Dan, Dan Savage in his podcast, The Savage Love Cast. Like, I do think that there are alternate timelines where I didn't choose to go work at Barnes and Noble. Right. And I ended up, you know, falling in love with someone from graduate school. Yeah, and, and I stayed in LA and I yeah. found somebody out there. And we're tremendously successful and we're totally <laughs> thin and fit. Like, <laughs> uh, like I, I feel extraordinarily lucky to be on my timeline with you. And to me, it just seems kind of silly to go back and what if our timeline, like what if I just randomly started dating someone else from Barnes and Noble, where would I be now? Like yeah. the, the important thing to me is that I'm here with you and we're having the most fun we've ever had in our whole lives. You've helped me really appreciate the what if concept, the fringe concept, because you always talk about how you get comfort from the idea of a multiverse where there is a Lisa out there who is kicking butt and doing way better than you, but there is also a Lisa out there who is sucking it up <laughs> and having the worst Total time. failure. Total failure. And so you're working with what you've got and there's, yeah, there's, there's something comforting about that. So if I may smoothly transition into the reflection portion of our podcast, what I take 
from Uatu and the idea of what if is like you can waste your time thinking about kicking yourself like why did I choose to major in music like that was a completely insane thing to do (laughs) And, and because the answer to any of those like what if questions that plague us it's like you have actually no idea Right. What would have happened if you made different choices? Right. Literally the only, th- and you don't know what's going to happen in the future either. So there's no point in worrying about what's down the road for you. The only thing you have control over, if I may reference our Loki episode, is like you're holding the Twilight pen and you're writing your narrative right now. So why not be present and make choices where you can? And stepping out onto that court, not knowing what the ending result is going to be, is a courageous act to yet again reference Jean Luen Yang's Dragon Hoops. We are having a real full circle moment right now. Everybody read this comic because... Throughout that book, you have these moments where we get a panel of somebody stepping out onto a court, like a basketball court, or into a classroom, or onto a street, or typing on a keypad. And the point of that is when you put yourself out there, when you put yourself on the court, you don't know if it's going to go in your favor, if you're going to win, but putting yourself out there, that's the victory. So in living your life and not fighting your life, your timeline, you're winning. I love that. Aren't, like, aren't comics just the best? Yeah, I did not expect to bring Dragon Hoops and What If together. <laughs> Is there anything else from our conversation about What If or the five love languages that you want to reflect on? Well, I mean, with the five love languages, I still think it is an incredibly effective tool as long as you dump some of the philosophy of Gary Chapman Mm -hmm. out of that book. You know, like, I don't, I didn't read that book and I ultimately decided not to read that book based on your discoveries of Chapman's writings. But I do think about the love languages all the time and I do love going to Scott and Jean once again, having named their love languages and discovering that, no, it still all fits even with Kurt Busaic, right? Like whoever the writer is, we're still going, yeah, no, they are maintaining the love languages as we saw them all the way back with Chris Claremont and John Byrne and the Dark Phoenix Saga. But but what about our relationship, our marriage? Well, honestly, like beyond you know, contemplating those same what if questions you had about like, what if I had, you know, gone a different way and not ended up with Brad? Like I have those questions too. And when you read something like this, yes, those questions popped up for myself, but I didn't do a lot of reflecting on the five love languages in us while reading this comic book to be truthful. That's, I mean, that's fine. Like this past reflection on the love languages, I was thinking a lot about like, once you know, your love language, you can kind of ask for the kind of love that you need in the moment. Yeah, and we do that a lot now. We That has increased since we started this podcast. Absolutely. But then I started thinking about how, like, once you know your love language, instead of just, like, looking for places where your love language pops up like oh look I got a nice tweet of from somebody who is says they like the podcast and I go oh that feels so good that's words of affirmation like there's so many things that happen every day that I could be rounding up to love and Mm. filling my love tank you know so I mean and it can be things that we do around the apartment like oh you know Brad 
thought of me at the comic book store and now he's brought me home a new book or, uh, oh, you know, gifts that fills my love tank. But also like things that happen out on the street with like strangers, like when a cashier is like, how's your day today? Mm. And you say like genuinely, actually it's going pretty great. That cashier is giving me a little piece of her quality time. I'm rounding that up to love. Yeah, I love that. You know I love that. So in actuality, we're walking around feeling lonely and feeling crabby because our our love tank is at half full. But we're actually surrounded by love all of the time. And so you have to get proactive about witnessing these small acts of love around us from strangers. Yeah, and from the people you love just from everywhere. Like, you turn on the TV and there's, like, a really great episode of Marvel's What If, and yeah, it wasn't specifically made for you, but somebody <laughs> made it for people like you. Round that up to love. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. But you're not going to see and witness and receive all of that love if you're looking at your past choices and asking that question, what if? What if I had done something differently? What if that kid in my class looked at me differently? Like, we... You would be missing out on all of this beautiful love that is in our present. We have access to it right now. I agree with you 100%, but how does that make you feel about the What If comic book series? Like, did you get a benefit of revisiting Scott and Jean by going through this What If wedding album? You know I'm not a flight of fancy person. <laughs> like if if it's like if if it doesn't have something to do with the continuity I am living in, like I'm just like why does this exist? So you're but yeah, okay. I do I I do empathize with the satisfaction of getting to write a what if story. Yeah. Where it's just like um if I was the writer and somebody's like, well, if, you know, Gene and Scott got married earlier, none of this would have happened. And then you go like, oh yeah, I'm going to show you. But uh, or like you like I I don't see why there aren't what if and maybe there are, so please correct me on the Twitter's kindly. Um like if there are what if stories where like, you know, Let's say Gene and Logan got together and actually things turned out really great and they had some kids and the kids turned out fine. Yeah, I do want to go back and read some what if. The Dear Watchers podcast has helped me with this as well mm -hmm. uh, because I do like the concept of fringe realities and multiverses and I love what's going on right now with the MCU and with what if. I think there's a lot of narratively rich potential there. Uh, but my experience... With And this is going by memory because it's been a long time. This is the first what if comic I've read in ages. But my memory is like they all kind of go like this where, see, this is why we wrote it this way <laughs> in the 616. I love the idea of them being like a choose your own adventure, yeah. though, where, you, where we go like, OK, what if Scott and Jean got married earlier? And then the story keeps going yeah. like, yeah. We lost a whole the the whole generation 
of X-Men after them. But after that, Scott and Jean goes like, we have to take some time out of our radio and advertising careers right. to and be heroes or whatever. The wedding album is a weird entry in What If because it presents us with three scenarios. And even though it is an extra long issue, it gives a short shrift to those three episodes so that I kind of would like an issue for each one. And maybe if I had a whole issue on what if they had married earlier, a whole issue on what if they had never fallen in love and a whole issue on what if Phoenix and Wolverine had hooked up, it, it might be a little more satisfying than what we got. I'm not saying I wasn't satisfied exactly. I'm just saying like, do I want to then tear through a whole bunch of Marvel what ifs? Uh, not necessarily. <laughs> well, that's fine. I think I am going to do that. Uh, so I'll let you know oh, sure. how my journey goes. I love that. I know we just had this long conversation about how important it is to live in the present, clutch that twilight <laughs> pen, step onto the court. But I am now curious what's happening next week, Brad. Well, next week is Awesome Con in Washington, D.C. We'll be there and we're bringing stickers with us, all designed from Elliott Comic Art. If you see us in the convention center, stop us. We'll hand you some stickers, buttons and cards. We'll also finally release our epic Fantastic Four 60th celebration episode. Hopefully you've jumped on over to our Patreon link in the show notes, guys, and listen to both our Tom Brevoort chat as well as our Tom Scioli chat. Uh, and, and we've taken some elements from that and we've interlocked it and connected them into this big epic like we said, NPR-like episode. Yeah, it's an essay-style. It's an essay-styled episode. Very excited about it. Also a little nervous about putting it all together. In addition to both Tom Brevoort and Tom Scioli, we also have Daniel Warren Johnson, Pete Dory, Clay McLeod Chapman, and more on that episode. And then after that, we're jumping back to the DC Comics universe. My God, it's been so long since we've talked DC we're joining a podcast event called Unite the Seven, which features various podcasts across the internet celebrating certain Justice League members. The participating podcasts are The Oblivion Bar, The Short Box, First Issue Club, The Wednesday Pull List, The F and Nerds Podcast, Comic Book Keepers, and Us. And the Justice League member we'll be discussing is John Johns, The Martian Manhunter, and we'll be talking about them as seen through the Comic Book Maxi series written by Steve Orlando and illustrated by Riley Rosmo. We'll be getting into Martian Manhunter's relationship with his dearly departed wife, Mariah. This is something that's going to be a little bit different for us, but we think is also really important. Absolutely. And Martian Manhunter will not be our only stop in the DC universe because we're kicking off another four episode series. This one detailing the love affair that is Green Arrow and Black Canary. And we'll be starting with a classic Green Lantern, Green Arrow issue number 78, Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams. It's the one where Black Canary is gripped under the cult-like spell of Joshua. It's going to be a lot <laughs> of fun. It's a weird comic book to launch a conversation, but it is a delectable one. What if, Brad, we never stopped this episode and we just went on forever and ever and ever? You know, I'd love it. <laughs> but uh, we can't do that. So uh, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at MouthDork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art, as well as our new show poster, send them to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. 
If you'd like to get exclusive, you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. If you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are, every day, becoming more fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. Do you like my Micro Machines voice? I did, I did. <laughs>